Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Jeremy Newberger. He's the CEO of Ironbound Films. He's a Twitter political satirist, Emmy-nominated documentary filmmaker, and a TV director. He's really funny. I follow him on Twitter, and it finally dawned on me, hey, I should have him on my show. So I invited him and he said yes. Before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash start me up and don't forget you can find start me up on itunes stitcher and wherever podcasts are found now please enjoy my conversation with jeremy newberger welcome to the show jeremy it is a pleasure to be here well it's a pleasure to host you uh you know i said in my intro that i i've been aware of you obviously for some time on twitter and you always make me laugh and i'm like I should have him on the show. Why didn't I think of that before? So, I'm glad That's to have you here. my curse. <laughs> Everyone is aware of me and enjoys my jokes, but no one wants to talk to me. Yeah, well, I kind of understand that because I have the same problem. But I do want to talk to you, and you're here, and we're doing it. So <laughs> we're making it happen. Um, <clears throat> so I know that you are the CEO of – it's Iron, it's, um, uh, Iron Bound, right? Ironbound Films. Ironbound Films. So what I want, before we get into the politics and all that stuff, I just want to know you a little bit better, and I want my listeners to know you. So tell me about the work that you do, your company, just, you know, who you are. I was born a middle-class Jew from Long Island. I went to conservative temple. We had three sets of dishes, dairy, meat, <laughs> and taken Chinese food. I grew up reading comic books and watching lots of movies. I used to go to the rental store and get the worst B-horror movies they had with my friends. And I aspired to be a filmmaker. I'm one of those few people who wanted to do something when they were a kid and ended up doing it. So wow. I take, don't take that for granted. Yeah. But uh, what you see on Twitter is really what you're getting is me. Uh, it's my sort of opinions and what I feel about stuff. Uh, and I, I kind of make no bones about it. <laughs> I try to be a real person in both my you know, personal life and also in my Twitter life. Right. Uh, but to, you know, understand me, I think is just to read what I'm saying and to, you know, either you like my jokes or you don't. Uh, and I go about life in the same kind of way. I'm a, a normal guy lives in the suburbs. I got two teenagers in high school. I'm very involved in their lives. A lovely wife, you know, we go, uh, we go out like everyone in America does. <laughs> and then, you know, when I'm doing my work, I travel to far off places that no one's ever been to make documentaries. Uh, wow. But 
often coming home and enjoying the mundane, you know, yeah. suburban sprawl, just as the, you know, ennui of my life is comforting, uh, as opposed to these kind of far off places I'm going to. Wow. So when you're making these, what kind of document documentaries do you make? What are you interested in? So, you know, my two partners, uh, Seth Kramer and Daniel Miller, mm -hmm. the three of us uh, have known each other for almost our, you know, most of our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan and I went to Jewish sleepaway camp together in the 80s. And wow. Seth and he worked as, you know, interns at a PBS documentary film house. And I was slumming it on MSNBC uh, for the <laughs> Don Imus show as a production assistant and then a producer eventually. Wow. And the three of us decided, well, let's join, you know, forces uh, after kind of, you know, years of working for other people. Mm -hmm. And we started Ironbound Films together. And the first film, see, I had a little roundabout way of getting to your question. Uh, <laughs> our first film was called The Linguists. And, you know, first one out of the gate, the film went to Sundance wow. and then ended up on PBS and was nominated for an Emmy. So because of the success of that first film, it inspired us to just keep making films. Yeah. We've made about nine or 10 of them together. You know, it takes about a year to two years uh, per film, mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and what are the subjects? You know, they range from our first, The Linguist, which was about two scientists who document endangered languages. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an Indiana Jones travel show these two young scientists who could speak like 30 languages between the two of them uh, traveling to places in, you know, far off Siberia or in the tribal regions of India or Bolivia uh, to try and find the last speakers of dying languages. Uh, and that film really resonated uh, with the independent film scene. We showed up at a bunch of film festivals and it kind of paved the way for all the films we've done since uh, we, we kind of, gravitate towards social science subject matter mm -hmm. so uh after the linguist we did a film called the anthropologist which was like a mother-daughter climate change film about an anthropologist who documents the impacts of climate change on indigenous cultures and what you can learn about that uh in your current geography yeah so yes. i i don't have like a you know uh, one subject fits all for all my films right. but I think it's just whatever is interesting to us at the moment mm -hmm. and whatever you're willing to invest like two or three years of your life telling a story about. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I can relate in that if, you know, I mean, I've, I've written three books, but the last book that I wrote um, was about teen abortion. And it was funny because uh, it was a young adult book. I've never, I, I love young adult if it's done well. But um, it was something that it just occurred to me. I, I want to write this, and I was moved to do it. And uh, I have not yet found another subject that's fiction that I'm mm -hmm. moved. But I figure at some point, I ha things swirl in my head. But I totally get what you mean. It's like you have to have that desire to go do it and to like push yourself in it and stay in it for years so that's really you know, cool in the middle of all of these docs that i've done i did have the opportunity to write one piece of fiction uh it was kind of a funny story i was doing a film called evocateur the morton downey jr movie about <laughs> the 80s talk show mm -hmm. host who kind of preceded trump as like yeah. a demagogue voice yeah. i'm sure you've, you're familiar with the old clips yes they're still floating around youtube but the film was uh, a lot of fun, and it was, you know, a childhood obsession. I used to watch Morton Downey Jr. when I was a high school kid uh, and imitate. Uh, and we made this film. I think it ended up on CNN uh, right around the time Trump came down the escalator. Mm -hmm. So it was like just bananas audience came to watch this thing. And it's probably the film I'm most known for. Oh, wow. But during that 
uh, process, uh, one of the people who was on Morton Downey Jr. who got thrown off violently by the bouncer at the time was the uh, B-horror film director Lloyd Kaufman, Mm -hmm. who uh, in New York City, his trauma films was like a staple and his, you know, uh, his films, The Toxic Avenger, was you know in the 80s a beloved you know VHS you would find at every video store. Uh, so I struck up a friendship with Lloyd during the Avocateur film, and one night we were out having drinks, and he invited me to write Toxic Avenger Five, and I accepted, having not ever written a screenplay. Wow! Uh, so <laughs> I penned Toxic Avenger Five with Lloyd. Uh, and he was going to make the film. He had found an oligarch in uh, Ukraine, I believe, who was going to pay for it. And then Putin attacked Crimea, invaded it, and the oligarch was murdered. So oh, my God. Lloyd had to cancel uh, the production on the film. So my script, you know, sits in some desk drawer at the Troma Studios, wow. never having been made. And that was my one foray into fiction. Wow, that's totally fascinating. Um, God, you know, life is so weird, isn't it? It's just, it's just so crazy, especially when you're creative. Um, what are you doing? Are you working on anything right now? I'm always doing something. God, if I wasn't doing anything right now, I don't know what I'd do with myself. <laughs> I, what am I doing right now? So I, I'm making um, two films right now. One of them, I, well, one film I just I finished, and it just takes a long time for these things to get out, especially with mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. It's called Young Punks, a Punk Parable, oh, wow. and the film is about a band, a punk band from Massachusetts, Marlboro Mass, who go to the Warped Tour in its last year uh, to you know show off their stuff. But oh yeah, they're ages eight to twelve, <laughs> so it's about a band oh, wow. of ki- a punk band of kids. That's insane. Yeah. They're, they they thrash and they're wow. incredible. Wow, that is so cool! I want to see yeah. that. <laughs> so that's at festivals right now, uh, at uh, music and kid festivals around the country. If you hear of Young Punks, a Punk Parable, okay. uh, go check it out. I hope that it finds its way to Netflix or Hulu or one of those yeah. so that a you know, bigger audience can see it. Yeah. And then the other projects, you know, I made a, a film called Heading Home: The Tale of Team Israel mm-hmm. about the Israeli baseball team, uh, which. Uh, maybe your audience has never heard of it, but they they have this uh, tournament every four years called the World Baseball Classic, which is like the World Cup of baseball for you know countries in addition to the U.S. who mm-hmm. like baseball, which is you know Asian countries like Japan and Korea and South American countries. Uh, so Israel placed a, a country that you would never associate with baseball, yeah. but because of the amount of like American transplants and Jewish Americans you only had to have like a Jewish grandparent in order to be on the team. Right. So the team is stacked <laughs> with like minor league journeymen, a few major league guys, all Jews. Uh, and they did really well at the world baseball classic. So the film kind of followed their saga. And as a result, the team uh, they put together for the Olympics, this past Olympics was made up of a bunch of the same guys. So I did my first sequel heading home too, which that's what I'm working on right now is finishing it up in post. Wow, that's cool. That sounds like fun. And um, I just have to say that I'm always impressed with people who are able to live their dream and, and make a living at it. It's it's impressive and it's wonderful when you have that opportunity to do it. 
Um, and Thank you. you. I, I appreciate that. I do not take it for granted that I'm actually doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I wanted to do was write for Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the thing I haven't. But right. my Twitter is sort of my outlet for making jokes. Yeah. And uh, I think my audience is bigger than Saturday Night Live at this point. So that's <laughs> I'm kidding. I was being a jerk. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, as I said, and I said in the intro too, I totally enjoy your Twitter feed. You're funny, and you're you're just you've got the right tone. I like well, that's that. So sweet of you. <laughs> well, I mean, because you're kind of like I'm not going to take any shit. I'm going to say it like it is, and I really appreciate that because too often we don't do it. Especially, you know, I mean, I guess some people might want to argue still that because of the hatred that we're seeing specifically from the right. Um, and and the divide, you know, the division in the country and all of that, that we should maintain a certain kind of tone. And it's like I think, you know, Trump just completely obliterated that. And at this point, I mean, I don't think we should necessarily be rude and go out of our way to hurt people. But I think when you have people who are being rude to you and going out of your their way to hurt you, you you gotta fight back, and you gotta fight yes. back in a way that's gonna tell them, do not fuck with me. Because you will be sorry. And I, that's your tone. And, and it's like Eric Swalwell has that tone. And I really appreciate it because we need more people to stand up and just in your fucking face. I love the in your face you know, shit. Speaking of Eric uh, Swalwell, uh, one time I got a direct message from a congressperson who said that they love my jokes every day. They wow. look forward to at least one laugh. I won't say which congressman, right. but speaking of Eric Swalwell, that's what reminded <laughs> me of that. Yeah, well, there you go, and it's not surprising. <laughs> okay, um, I want to switch over a little bit. Into, we may go back and forth because, you know, I have my questions, but then I'm organically going to ask something that just uh, comes to my mind. But I just – okay, this is not the most important news story, but I think it is representative of what we're dealing with. But there's this guy, a MAGA, MAGA Republican – now, he knows somebody who knows somebody who knows that schools are letting kids identify as cats and they're providing them with litter boxes so they can relieve themselves like cats do. And it's yeah. obviously true because someone who knows someone told him. And so, I you know, I support that, by the way. I don't know if that's what you were expecting, but I, I'm a cat owner. and I think it's a, There's nothing wrong with it. Well, obviously, as as bury it. <laughs> yeah, as long as they bury it. Just, don't just shit and leave. No, and I don't want to be the guy that has to filter that stuff out also. My wife handles all the uh, cat waste management in our house, thankfully, because it's her cat. But uh, I just – I like to pet them. That's about it. Well, I – you know, I saw this ridiculous – I think it was the Good Men Project or something. I think that's who posted this video. And yeah. um, I just – just – I mean, not to – kill the metaphor but that's just catnip for you know <laughs> partisan discussions mm -hmm. about oh those crazy lips right exactly uh, it'd be help you know pressed to find a school that does that other than that one if it even exists it doesn't exist it's and not it, real it's, it's bullshit. just a distraction yeah you know and to me i mean i i made a joke and and it's not even necessarily a joke that this is their new CRT. As we're heading into the yes. election, it's like uh, in 2020, all we heard about was critical race theory being taught, you know, in, in kindergarten, basically, which is bullshit yeah. because it doesn't happen. And so now, right. now, okay, they, I, I'm happy to hear that maybe they're moving on from C CRT and they're moving not. into identifying as cats, but they're they're yeah, not. I haven't my seen problem, Kimberly, with uh, what what the real uh, I think damage that's being done from the CRT debate. Uh, you know, I put the cat story aside for one second because this is, uh, I think, related enough that I could explain this to you. Mm -hmm. uh, 
when I have two kids in high school, uh, all of a sudden, you know, MAGA inspired righties uh, decried books in my kids' school yeah. library yeah. Uh, as being, you know, CRT, uh, uh, I guess, reverse racist mm-hmm. or inappropriate, uh, you know, grooming, whatever the, the crazy scare tactics were. That were devised in like a think tank, you know, yeah. like wing think tank, <laughs> right. and then you know distributed by maniacs to ignorant idiots. Uh, <laughs> that's what happened, and it happened in my own kids' school. So I felt moved and went to speak. I had just read, I guess, a week prior the book Mouse, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, the illustrated you know graphic novel about the Holocaust, was mm-hmm. pulled from a shelf. Yeah, and uh, there were books on the list that my daughter had read that had loved. Uh, and I felt, you know, I gotta, I gotta go to the school board. I know I'm not gonna go to the school board and like say crazy things and embarrass my family. Mm-hmm. So I was very careful. Mm-hmm. But I did go and speak about, you know, banning books and how it's wrong and how, you know, the books that are being sort of uh, vilified, they haven't even read them, uh, and on and on. But what was troubling to me was it wasn't just CRT that was sort of being used or spread incorrectly because as you just described before there isn't crt in grade schools right. it's like a, a college you yeah. know, level discussion and it was just being conflated as anything that touched on diversity equity yeah. and inclusion and all of a sudden dei was being touted as like a bad word also so in my kids school they you know have pride taken pride in the fact that they have diversity equity and inclusion yeah. And the principal and the superintendent, who I happen to bo- like both men, uh, have come out and said there's no CRT being taught in our schools. Yeah. But they do have diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, and that's a good thing. <laughs> but it was all conflated together. Yeah. So uh, whether they try and tie the like kids in the litter boxes into it also, I don't know. But I, it scares <laughs> me that the movement on the right is so hyper-focused on these like yeah. big clouds of unknowing, mm-hmm. big nonsense balls that uh, the damage from these, you know, stories that appear on a Fox News or on a Breitbart, uh, they do have ramifications. They do end up impacting real school districts like my own kids here mm-hmm. in New York, liberal New York. Yeah, I mean, it, it is scary. I mean, it's funny and mockworthy, but it's not funny because it does trickle down into our lives. And that's, that is a trickle down theory that works. And it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, I, mean, I was just talking with my mom this morning and she said, you know, I, I always call her every morning and check in on her and we talk about whatever and we're both on Twitter and I'm like did you see that story did you see this story and you know she said none of this would really be happening if we didn't have Fox News and we didn't have you know quote air quote news organizations that all they do is lie they shouldn't be allowed to lie and obviously uh, this is an issue that we have because even if Democrats win the midterms we still have to deal with this right-wing propaganda machine all over the airwaves the i'd say the best uh i guess the the light at the end of the tunnel on this or i should say the the saving grace of it is that the majority of americans do not watch cable news so and we're seeing more and more that you know whether it's um cnn because i know that the new owner is kind of trump friendly um and then we've got uh, yes and we've got a couple of Publications like Politico, where the owner of Politico is Trump-friendly also. He wanted to do some kind of prayer that Trump would win in 2020, group prayer. Yep, saw that. 
Um, now, I, you know, with, with that, I want to say, though, Renato Mariotti, who is a friend of, not like a good personal friend, but he's been on this show before, he writes for Politico. Now, obviously, he is completely liberal and fact-based. So he's liberal, but he's liberal because he's fact-based. And so he does write for Politico. So every once in a while, you're going to find um, in these, you know, uh, outlets – you're you're going to have reasonable people. Like Jim, Jim Acosta is really awesome. He's one of the most awesome reporters out there. So he's with CNN. Love that guy. Yeah. So, um, but it's kind of like as we're watching the, the the cable news media, with very few exceptions, getting more and more into the. I guess it's not so much. It's just me, it's media as opposed to news media because it's not it's not real. It's news media as as a as opposed right. to just being straight news and you know i grew up yeah. i grew up watching uh meet the press with tim russert yeah and my dad my dad and i would watch that every yeah. sunday uh and the guy was such a straight shooter yes. and he he wasn't leaning in any direction he would treat every interview as sort of a grilling fair down the middle yeah. you know uh act of actual journalism it felt like anyway yeah. i don't know if you like the guy or not no but, i love him yeah so I kind of base what is appealing to me from cable news or from political discussions on that example. Uh, yeah. And if I'm watching a political talk show, I'm looking for that kind of fair host who is approaching the material mm -hmm. from that perspective. At the moment, I find like uh, Mike Smirconish kind of fills that, you know, that void for me a little bit on Saturdays, uh, but very very much of the sort of cable news squawking heads are more sort of like in partisan corners and there isn't uh, necessarily a straight shooter that's kind of guiding uh, the conversation versus, you know, the old crossfire model of, you know, I'm on this side, you're on that side. Uh, yeah. So we don't really get, uh, you know, a fair assessment in, in most cases Barring a few, you know, you mentioned Jim Acosta. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I love Jim Acosta. He's he's kind of like a pit bull for <laughs> uh, attacking outrageous, awful hypocrisy. Uh, but he also would not fall into the Tim Russert category, I don't right. think, because no. he he does have an agenda in terms of what you know he currently believes. Right. Right. At the same time, I would not fall into the sort of both sidesism that uh, kind of gets used in order to say, well, you know. Trump did this, but you know, you guys did this on the other. What about it? Yes, right. Because we're in a peculiar time right mm -hmm. now, where Nazis are marching on mm -hmm. main streets, and we had a criminal for four years as a president. We're, it's not just like oh, that righty, you know, or lefty. It's we had a criminal who was up to no good, who's been uh, obstructing justice to stay in power. That's a really, you know, that calls for a very specific turn by the media uh, to fairly and also, uh, I guess, judiciously uh, hold that person uh, under, you know, the fire and get answers. Yeah. And I, I think that very often people get kind of lumped into the left or the right. Uh, yes. But really, it's a not a question of left and right right now mm -mm. as much as like the GOP would like it to be it's more of like a right or wrong right now yeah oh absolutely I mean it's basically fascism versus a democratic republic I mean if you say democracy you're always going to get somebody going it's not really a democracy so that's why I'm going to say right. a democratic republic um, but yeah I mean that's it's basically a democracy 
And, you know, it, we don't have it for the presidency, but we do have it for, um, I guess, senators and, and most of the other, uh, and you know, and Congress people. I'm getting, I'm getting on a side note. But, um, yeah, I think it's extremely important that, you know, the, as far as what we've got going on right now with the news, it, it, it's important that people get their news from, I'd say, a lot of different sources, just because right now it's hard to know who to I don't want to say trust but I just trust in the way not that I think people are lying per se unless you're going to go over to OAN or Fox or something like that but it's just it's so much opinion and there is a place for opinion we want opinions but then we also just want straight news where there is no opinion and everybody is treated the same way questioned the same way we're not seeing that right now I'd love to I'd love to get back to to where, like, for instance, with the nightly news, you know, you'd have the person come on and they would not have an opinion. They would just deliver the news. And conservatives, as well as liberals, would agree on it. And sure. it, it wasn't like fake and alternative and all this shit that we saw from the Trump years. And, oh, my God, right. it's just, you know, I want to read something that you tweeted. And I really like this. You, go, <laughs> you say, so to yeah. be clear, we're going into the midterms, the GOP see migrants as political props, children killed from guns as collateral damage, women as chattel, and Trump as king. I just want to get all this straight before I mount my surfboard for that massive blue wave coming. So, woohoo, I love that. But um, what I want to kind of bring to this is now there, for, do, you, do you know who Christopher Boozy is? Yes. Okay, so he said, he insists and tweeted today. That the House and that uh, we're going to take the House, Democrats. Mm-hmm. And right. so then he was. But then somebody said to him, um, tell us this. Jake Sherman is reporting that Schumer privately told senators at a dinner that Pelosi's going to lose the House. You said internals were looking good. And mm-hmm. uh, I will say this. I, you know, I got the email from Nancy Pelosi and she did. She said, we're going to win the House. So um, it's not private information this was a public email sent to anybody who she you know emails and so boozy was basically just saying well with all due respect i think schumer is wrong what i and i want to ask you about this because it was my i mean i figured and and boozy is saying um i think and and so is simon rosenberg who is a democratic strategist that Mm -hmm. the number of new democrats specifically young women but there's a, a lot of young people um it's it's enormous this number of new registered newly registered democratic voters and i don't believe that the current you know like 538 all those polls i don't know that all these voters are being taken into account i don't think they're being i know they're not being polled um and if they are how many of them are actually answering their phones to give this information um I think that there is a very good chance that Democrats are going to take the House. I mean, I, I'm almost positive they're going to take the Senate. I mean, barring some kind of complete surprise. How are right. you feeling about this? I mean, I know you said the surfing, the wave, but I mean, are you real secure in that? I, I think that my sentiment of surfing the wave was uh, in response to today's news. Uh, and that is you know, with political stunts of flying migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. uh, Or, you know, just this week, Lindsey Graham uh, trying, you know, a a bill in the Senate to, you know, ban abortion. Yeah. Uh, So I think this week I would say, yeah, I feel like keep 
doing what you're doing. You are bringing Democratic (laughs) voters to the voting box. (laughs) Next week might be a different story. My surfboard might hit, you know, and crash. It (laughs) depends. Like I saw a video uh, montage posted of John Fetterman mm-hmm. uh, giving a speech, uh, and they had pulled all of the shaky moments of him talking to say, "Look, this guy had a stroke. How could you put him in a senator?" And even though I'm, you know, smart enough to realize that if you took an hour speech yeah. that I gave, you could find, mm-hmm. you know, little moments where I don't sound at my best, mm-hmm. uh, and montage them together as a, you know, jump cut or whatever they call it. Uh, but there are people who will believe that. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to be firm and fight to the bitter end on this uh, because there is really well-oiled machinery on the other side, uh, you know, from swift yes, voting, is, to, yeah. you know, to Hunter Biden's laptop, whatever you, you know, whatever story you want to sort of acknowledge you've heard a billion times over and over uh it, it exists and they're strong and they're smart. So I would never take my foot off the gas pedal, but I do like on my Twitter feed to acknowledge when uh, there are total F up moments from the other <laughs> side as a, Hey, you know, I see a blue wave and it's crashing on you because yeah. we, we should be confident and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't let go of the things that are working for us right now. Um, which is the fact that women's uh, freedoms are on the line. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that might be the most powerful thing uh, to get people to vote this time for a blue wave yeah. is to just not let that go, not let that subside, not get distracted on defense with any you know ridiculous story they throw our way because they will. There will be some story a week or two weeks before the midterms. It will be, you know, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, blah, blah, blah. It will be some scandal that we find out is fake, you know, two months or three months later. Uh, And we need to just stay strong on offense that, no, this is about a blue wave Mm -hmm. that's preventing women's rights from being Mm -hmm. taken away from political stunts of, you know, why isn't Ron DeSantis putting migrants in cattle cars? He might as well, you know, shipping them down uh, or up rather to Martha's Vineyard. These are stunts from a side that is bereft of any uh, ideas all that they can come up with is a continuation of the lies that Trump has told, uh, whether it's that the election was rigged or fake, whether it's, you know, the, the, the border crisis that's existed before Biden and will exist after is all of a sudden, you know, at a fever pitch now. Uh, it's just it's gamesmanship. Yeah. Uh, so long answer to your question uh i believe what i said today uh very strongly and i hope it will be the case in the next week or the week after that but really twitter is kind of uh my reaction to what's going on now and in the now not that i change what i believe or say from a day to day right but if you're asking about that particular tweet that's where that sentiment was coming from right Um, Okay, we're going to have to take a quick break, and we're going to be back in just a moment. Hey, this is Kimberly. Real quick, if you're not already a patron of the show, please check out patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see all the different tier options. I would really appreciate it if you check them out and become my patron. You'll have my undying gratitude. Thanks so much. And we're back. All right, so um, did you hear the news about Mark Meadows? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly. I love that news. Oh, my God. So, I mean, the, the, I guess everybody's assuming that he flipped. Do you think he flipped? 
I mean, you know what? The the initial news report from CNN was he's uh, cooperating, or yeah. I, I forget what word they used. And then, uh, you know, so, soon enough after the initial breaking news headline, someone said, well, he didn't give them anything more, them being the DOJ, anything more than what he gave the January 6th committee. So right. that's not really cooperate. It's cooperating, but it's not uh, being sort of in their pocket. So I'd like to wait and see, I think, a little longer. Yeah. Uh, maybe the first J6, you know, session back, what they're saying uh, before I, you know, say that the jig is up. <laughs> but it's certainly fun when one of these MAGA turncoats turns on Trump. Yes. Uh, and the hope would be that any like joke you make sort of gets echoed all the way up to Trump's ears or yeah. those who are really worried for him's ears. So it's <laughs> fun to just sort of play it out every time one of these guys is sort of like talking to the DOJ. Yeah. And then I and then we learned that the one six committee got all the secret or got some at least secret service text. So this is going to be fascinating. And I'm just I, I wonder, too, you know, I mean, Chris Hayes has been talking about how, uh, you know, for the longest time, the, the concerns for the 2022 midterms were high gas prices, inflation, blah, blah, blah. Then we have the overturning of Roe. And I kept thinking, you know, I, I knew overturning Roe would lead to what we're seeing right now. I, I wasn't convinced that we would win because of it, but I thought if we're going to win, this is something that's really going to motivate voters because it's so personal. I didn't understand, and I still don't understand, why, you know, white supremacy, fascism, and all of that isn't at the top of the list. I guess I can understand it because nobody in this country, I mean, no, I, I'm not going to say nobody. There are people who escaped fascism and came over here. But for people who grew up here their entire life, um, even if they've, you know, if they've been fortunate enough to visit a fascist country, maybe they'll know. But if they have never experienced it firsthand, then I guess I can understand why it isn't something that they're worrying about. I mean, I, I had the opportunity of living in communist Russia when I was 12 because my dad worked for the news. And I got to see what it was like. That was communism. But still, I got to see it. And the, the, the morning after, uh, in 2016, when I found out Trump won, I mean, I will admit my first fear was North Korea. But I quickly switched over because I learned, you know, Hillary kept warning us. She kept telling us what was happening. And even though I heard her and I heard what she was saying, it wasn't registering in my brain what was happening until after the election. And it was like, oh, Putin is helping him and this is why. And and because it was Putin specifically who is KGB, it was like it, it scared the shit out of me. And I just felt like I didn't understand why voters were not getting it but it's because they didn't live it they didn't see it with their own eyes and i guess they just don't think it's ever going to happen here but now that we've got this momentum going i'm wondering now okay do, i don't know if i don't know when the one six is going to reconvene but i would imagine it's soon um and it, it is having i believe a positive impact on americans in that it's opening their eyes because now chris hayes is saying that the number one concern is no longer inflation or gas. It is democracy. Right. And so that's a very positive thing. And I, I, I really hope people realize that, you know, if you're upset about inflation now, if you vote for if you don't vote for Democrats, you're going to get basically fascism with more inflation. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. it's like you're not going to solve the problem by allowing the fascists to win. 
Um, no. Do you think, though, with, with these one six committees, have you been watching all of them? And yes. I mean, we do know what we do know what the impact is from from the numbers and all of that. But it's just your personal take on this. Do you think this is having like a real impact on how people will vote? I think so. I, I think so. I, I, I think that it's uh, two things are happening simultaneous. Uh, one, uh, even though the far right thinks Liz Cheney is like a rhino or whatever, mm-hmm. or Adam Kinzinger, uh, the fact that Liz and Adam and a mostly Republican uh, you know, gang of witnesses have been those saying the worst and most incriminating things about Trump. There is no way that that is not having its uh, the impact that you would imagine it would have. Yeah. Uh, and you know, of course, they'll counterprogram Tucker Carlson talking about something ridiculous when it's going on. But the numbers aren't lying. People are watching this January sixth committee, and if they're not watching it live, they're certainly watching clips of it the next day. Yeah. And even those who are saying I'm not watching are commenting on specifics of it. So it <laughs> is being seen. Uh, so that's one thing it's accomplishing. Uh, and it's doing a great job of setting the stage for what happened. Uh, the witnesses who were there working for Trump are telling what happened. The Capitol uh, Police who were there, the you know behind the scenes people who witnessed this uh, this treason and this coup and the, and the reaction and the up to no goodness of our former president is being that story is being told. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing that's happening uh, simultaneously is the case that the DOJ is making or going to make is getting the benefit of the January 6th committee's research and investigating. Mm -hmm. And I think that allows them the cover to quietly make the airtight case that, you know, uh, our AG needs to make Merrick Garland uh, without it being, you know, him pulled into the spotlight uh, and dissected constantly. Mm -hmm. So I I think those two things are simultaneously going on. And it seems to me, Kimberly, in the last week uh, or two weeks, or actually, let's say three weeks, what, how long ago was the, the raid on Mar-a-Lago? Was that a month it was already? Like a three, it's about three weeks ago, yeah. Uh, that know, and the ago. events of all the subpoenas, it seems like the DOJ is finally making its move. Like, right. that's happening right now. We're, we're sort of like, you know, we're so attuned to, like, something happening and then weeks go by and then nothing happens. But it's been a steady stream of things happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People like Stephen Miller are being, you know, subpoenaed. Stephen Bannon dragged into court. Like, uh, the chicken is coming home to roost for these people. <laughs> so I, I think that that's the other thing that's happening mm-hmm. uh, and has been uh, able to happen thanks to these January 6th committee hearings. And I'm eager for them to come back and continue yeah. uh, because it, it, it almost feels like, well, it ended. It didn't end. Uh, and what's happened since has been just remarkable. The, the villain of the J6 committee hearings, since they went you know, on hiatus, his home was raided by the FBI. <laughs> uh, so the plot has really thickened. Yes. Uh, and I feel like the denouement is soon to come. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad by that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I am a uh, Democrat, you know, by voting. I, I tend to be a little bit more in the middle, mm-hmm. a little bit more moderate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because I have had in my life many, you know, Republican family and friends, mm-hmm. 
I haven't had many MAGA friends. I know one or two, uh, but I'm waiting for those people to almost snap out of it in the way, you know, Indiana Jones does when uh, <laughs> short round puts the flame to his face, yeah. you know, in the second movie. Uh, and I feel like that's happening right now. Uh, Trump is poisonous and they would turn on him, you know, quicker if they weren't so worried about, well, wh who do we have, you know, on our end, mm -hmm. but they have to see the sort of sum total of the things he's done from, mm -hmm. You know, if you want to go as far back as colluding, you know, or selling out our allies uh, up until even more recent re revelations of, you know, potentially selling nuclear secrets. Yeah. Uh, the things he's doing are not just, you know, like uh, white collar crimes. They're uh, a betrayal of our security. Yeah. And, when what he's doing is impacting everybody, not just, you know, owning the libs, yeah. that's when he gets thrown into the, you know, the dustbin of history. So I, I'm eager for that to happen. <laughs> I have been telling jokes since he came down on the escalator as a defense mechanism. Yeah. This is the real what makes me tick, Kimberly. I'm telling you right now. If I didn't make jokes on Twitter, I would just be walking around like an angry person. Me too. Screaming. So yeah, I totally. find that by being, you know, whether it's sarcasm or over earnest mm -hmm. or wordplay or whatever it is that you're reading on my Twitter wall is my outlet for how I'm coping with someone trying to totally fuck over the United States of America, a country that I grew up in, loved dearly and would die for. So yeah. that that's really what I'm all about. And I want to see it to its end, which is him either in prison, mm -hmm. exile to Greenland or whatever. I, I, we need to see that final scene, the, the Godfather ending, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, I certainly hope. I mean, I'll say this. Now, this is not going to be coming from the most optimistic point of view, but, you know, I, I see a lot of people concerned that Trump's going to run again and, yeah, he could win and all that. Um, to, I'm kind of not worried about Trump running. I mean, if he if he does run and he becomes viable and all that stuff, because I don't think he's viable at this point. Um, I know other people feel differently, but I just, first of all, he's already lost. He lost basically twice because he lost in the midterms. Uh, we, we saw record turnout. I'm going to go back. I've said this before, but I think it's really important. 2010 and 2014 saw the uh, lowest Democratic turnout, or I think overall turnout, not sure if it was which one it was, in 80 years. People said, Ooh. oh, we've got Barack. So we're good. No, we're not good. You have to give Barack Congress. And we did not do that. Democrats did not show up to vote. So uh, obviously when people are scared, they are motivated to vote. And Trump scared them. So in 2018, instead of mid, you know, midterm kind of numbers, we saw general election numbers. And it was uh, Democrats had a really good time. Of course, we didn't take the Senate, but we did take the House. Now, in 2020, we again, we, we saw that. And we saw huge voter turnout. And I think that we're going to see that again. Um, I think, though, that when 2020 happened, I, I know there was a sense of, okay, we're going to get COVID under control and we're finally finished with this fascist sect. Okay, COVID is, we're a little better off, but... Trump is, it, it, it's not just Trump anymore. It's Trumpism. Because if we get rid of Trump, if Trump goes to jail and if Roger Stone goes to jail and all of that, and Ron DeSantis is, or somebody as terrible is the nominee, 
Like, I think that's what's, I think we're going to see a terrible nominee. I don't think we're going to see somebody, I mean, I consider Mitt Romney or even Liz Cheney, that would be a terrible nominee. But I would trust that if they lost the election the next time around, they would say, all right, I believe in the peaceful transfer of power and I will leave. I, that's the only place that I would trust them. Outside right. of that, no, I hate their voting records. I, I can't stand them as politicians. I think Liz Cheney is doing a wonderful job um, defending the country, but I don't want her to be president. But I guess this long-winded thing is that I, I feel like if Trump goes to jail, Trumpism is still here. And I think what keeps it alive are these cable, you know, whether it's cable, and then of course there's the internet and stuff. And I'm just wondering what it's going to take. And, and do you think if Donald Trump goes to jail, if Roger Stone goes to jail, do you think that's going to be enough of a message to these to these? kind of people who have spent their lives because what is it is it uh M black black manafort and stone or something like that it was three of them who have been undermining i don't know if you saw a get me roger stone documentary but right, I mean, the, right. they have been undermining the united states their entire working lives and sure. so you know i'm and, and and i'm just i'm nervous that even if we're able to win this election um we're still fighting trumpism where do yeah. you think it goes from here if, if we win if we win so I, I think that uh, finishing off Trump or defeating Trump is the first really important move. Yeah. But we, we have to still work at getting accountability to anyone that backed him, supported him, mm -hmm. uh, was un unscrupulous uh, in how they behaved when working for him uh, and is reflecting the worst, uh, the worst of qualities of him. Yeah. Uh, so – after we're rid of Trump, uh, we need to get rid of, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah. or Lawrence Boebert or, you know, any number of uh, these awful uh, white supremacist, empowered, uh, can, you know, uh, MAGA congresspeople or senators. We have to work to get to clean house of that ideology. And that's going to take time. Mm -hmm. But I think once you cut the head off the snake, uh, it will not be as daunting as it is right now. Yeah. I think the party is still, you know, in Wizard of Oz, how the guardsmen, the witch's guardsmen, the flying monkeys, they were all terrified of the witch. Yes. But as soon as the, they melted her, it was like, here, take her broom. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. uh, that's what happens when you, you, you know, you run your company or your country or your business by fear. Mm -hmm. As soon as you're no longer the threat, uh, there's less power. Look, Hitler was, uh, you know, one of the worst things that happened to the world. And, you know, he shoots himself in the bunker the war is won, and then, you know, uh, 20, 30 years later, there's neo-Nazis and skinheads that yeah. are, you know, marching around our country. Right. So do you ever completely rid yourself of MAGA? Right. Probably not. But if you can take out the power structure that is supported, you know, right now by uh, mainstream Republicans because they're terrified, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll do a lot in the name of really making it an irrelevant ideology. It's going to take work, though. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't think I get to retire from my Twitter feed the day that Trump <laughs> is indicted. Right. I think that there's probably a few more years uh, for me to keep going to make sure that Trumpism is stamped out. Yeah. To keep reminding people of Charlottesville and the, 
the nice Nazis on both sides mm-hmm. or the upside down Bible when he tear right. gassed peaceful yeah. protesters or what he did to our allies in the Middle East, abandoning them or what he's done, you know, in propping up dictators like Putin and mm-hmm. uh, Kim Jong Un and, and the like. There's work to be done. And there's people that need to uh, feel the cold, you know, reality of justice uh, after Trump is dealt with. Yeah. But I, I don't mind being part of the the sort of satire <laughs> uh, platform of comeuppance mm-hmm. after Trump is, you know, oh, been yeah. removed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it's going to be our duty, all of us, to say we need to do things now that protect mm-hmm. women's freedom, which we took for granted since it's so close to being taken away. Yeah. Or that protect. Uh, you know, black and, and Latino people from awful policies that just keep them down mm-hmm. or that protect Jewish people from anti-Semitic attacks. Yeah. These are things that we're going to have to work together to keep uh, working at, you know, past Trump. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's funny because uh, in 2012, I had written an open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut because he had called... Um, Oh, what's her name? I can't think of her name. But she, you know, she went to um, Congress and talked about getting, uh, what was it, insurance, I think for like religious schools, like certain kinds of insurance that would provide birth control. Sandra Fluck. So he called, yeah, 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 he called her a slut. Yeah, she called her a slut for like three days and wanted her sex tape and all that. So I wrote an open letter. And because of this, um, that's, that's actually what started my whole political big mouth career uh for lack of a better way to describe it but um feminist big mouth too and so this woman contacted me because she had started up this group called rock the slut vote and she said would you be the spokesperson and you know so i went to both of my parents and i asked them i'm like what do you think i should do and they both said yeah do it so i did it and after obama won in 2012 my dad was like oh well you don't have to worry about the whole slut thing anymore and I'm like, no, Dad, we have to. <laughs> There's t- Republicans are still treating us like we're sluts. And, right. and, you know, he just he just had this kind of like idealized, I don't know, view of the world in that. Oh, well, Obama won again. So everything's good. And I think that's, you know, that's what, like you're saying. We have to be mindful because n- this isn't all going to go away. And clearly right. we've been here before. And it seems like, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg says the pendulums always swings and, you know, it swings one way and then it goes the other. I'm hoping that the pendulum is swinging back to some kind of normalcy because, you know, I know you're a Gen Xer. I'm a little older than you. I think I'm seven years older than you. I'm 54. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, we grew up with these television shows. Like, for instance, I, I can there was that one episode of Family Ties when the family got a gun. And, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox came home late and his father almost shot him. And then ultimately they decided, no, we don't want a gun. And then they have after the show, they did a little talk. And, you know, there was also the um, uh, different strokes episode where the two sons wanted to go to see Mr. Drummond in his, you know, very white um, private club. And they wouldn't let the little boys in. And then Mr. Drummond was pissed off. And again, it was a lesson. And so, you know, we we had Free to Be You and Me. We had Sesame Street, Electric Company. We had all of these, you know, voices and, 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 you know, whether they were famous voices or, you know, we we also had the uh, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. We had all that stuff. So, I, you know, it's like, yeah, Schoolhouse Rock. We were grow We grew up in this kind of environment that at least told me that we were only progressing even during 
Reagan years, you know, we, the, 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 this thing with the gun, the gun. I mean, Reagan was not interested in, you know, he, he didn't like assault weapons. He had a more reasonable approach to assault weapons than current uh, Republicans. But I mean, it, it just seemed like common sense. And it wasn't, you know, yes, you're always going to have your fringe. You're always going to have your Archie bunkers. But ultimately, it was kind of like this collective agreement that racism was bad, you know, and, and, and not that guns were bad per se, but it wasn't like, you know, guns were this pe- machine guns. Yeah. Machine guns and having <laughs> po- politicians pose with their children in front of a Christmas tree. Yeah. You know, it's like while they're screaming that they're pro-life. I mean, it's like the craziest shit I've ever seen. And I just I hope that I know you're right in that if Trump and, and, and big Trump co people go to jail, um, mm-hmm. it, it can absolutely start kind of like this rolling. I don't know, like ch- change. You said a sea change. Kim- Maybe there's going to be a change. Here, here's what I believe. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, Lindsey Graham came out and said, if you guys indict Trump, there's going to be riots in the street. Right. Remember yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know MAGA people. I know conservative people. I know, you know, parents of kids in my kids' high school. Uh, they are focused on their kids their kids varsity sports Mm -hmm. their uh sick relative uh where they're going on vacation where their uh holidays dinner will be Mm -hmm. those are the things that most people are focused on Mm -hmm. uh barring the problems the country has whether you know inflation is causing Mm -hmm. us to have to pay more for gas or meat or whatever those are all important to everyone but every single one of us is hyper focused on the things i just mentioned which we call living life so is the indictment of Donald Trump going to bring millions and millions of people to the streets uh, to cause violence? No. Is it going to have some fringe crazies? Yes. We saw January 6th, they Mm -hmm. gathered uh, and they assaulted our Capitol and, and we all know what happened, but it's not everybody. It's not even the big numbers of MAGA. There are, you know, tremendous amounts of asshole voices on the internet. But when it's time for them to sort of take on cops, the military, mm-hmm. drones, mm-hmm. you're true. not going to see true. those people. Yeah. They're going to slip back into the shadows <laughs> yeah. with their racist opinions and their uh, conspiracy theories. And that's where the, that shit belongs. Yeah. So I'm not concerned of a civil war in this country. Yeah. I don't think we're near that. I, I've often joked it's impossible to logistically have a civil war when it's not, you know, the North versus the South. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like everyone on my street is going to attack <laughs> know, four right? streets <laughs> over just the first two houses. You know, it, it's just logistically impossible. So I'm not concerned that we're at a turning point where there's no going back to normalcy. Yeah. But we have to fight for it. Because the machinery in place uh, propagating these lies is really strong. So a voice like yourself, uh, my dopey quips I put on Twitter, <laughs> these are important, uh, yeah. I think. I mean, that's why I, I do it. I, yeah. You know, I started off doing it for me, and then I was hearing from people saying, you know, I love what you said. It got me through the day or it got me through Trump. You know, then great. That's my purpose for the moment. Right. Wow. Well, you know, I just want to say um, – 
it's good talking to you, and I'm glad that you're on the show because I think, you know, as I said, I, I enjoy your tweets, and, and I enjoy this perspective, and it makes me feel hopeful. In fact, I woke up this morning feeling really hopeful, and then, uh-huh. I, you know, I see Christopher Boozy going, we're going to win the house, and, you know, I mean, that guy is not, I mean, he's not a psychic, and, of course, we can't take it for granted, don't get happy, blah, 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 but... um it's nice to see the sentiment out there as opposed to Democrats are going to lose. We, we suck at everything. And, you know, like the, right. e- the Eeyore Democrats that were making me so fucking angry, they, they kind of popped out earlier this week. I don't even remember what the reason. Oh, I know. It was maybe it was last week because that judge uh, granted Trump the special master. And, right. and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, everything sucks again. It's like, oh, my God, we had some momentum. Let's keep the momentum. And what I'm trying to say is that you've got that in your, you know, you're, you're reasonable and you're smart about it, but at the same time, you've got that optimism and you've got, like I the, the humor. The humor is so important. We have to laugh through all this because it's totally scary and, and just uncomfortable. So it's important to have a sense of humor, and that's why I love following you. And I'm finally glad that I had you on the show because I was like, duh, why didn't I ask him before? <laughs> I would have been on your show like eight years ago. You just asked. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap things up. Uh, before we do, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, I'm going to be at the mall later. Uh, I need to get a new <laughs> pair of sneakers. Uh, so you, you mean the like mall, on Twitter. I am, I'm sorry. Uh, I am Mr. Newberger on Twitter. You can find me at, at Jeremy Newberger, and it's N-E-W-B-E-R-G-E-R, not like a hamburger. Okay. Uh, and anything I'm doing, I will post there, whether it's my film projects with Ironbound Films, whether it's my latest take on this or that. But that's pretty much where people can find me, Mr. Newberger. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter. Awesome. Okay, well, I did put in the Patreon description of the show, I put that link for your Twitter as well as your website. Of course, I'm author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget the extra E at the end of my name. My books are on Amazon. Jeremy, it was fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.